Happy Saturday, everyone. Yes, we're on the weekend and it is the weekend of Mother's Day. And I'll get to that uh, in just a minute. But first, I want to welcome everybody. I hope you've enjoyed your Saturday. Uh, and I want to welcome back our faithful, loyal listeners. Hello, hello. And to any first-time listeners, uh, thank you for tuning in this evening and being with us. We'd like to direct you to our website at newarkupc.info, where you can learn more about us and what we offer. Uh, we are still currently meeting 100% online and virtually, uh, but we are still a very active uh, church community and that you can find out how to join small group. Uh, how you can submit prayer requests, how you can partner with us in giving. Uh, you can share um, what we call praise reports, which are ways that God is working in your life and those uh, in the lives around you. And simply find out, oh, we have kids. Kids uh, on Sundays, we have uh, meetings for our kids, Zoom meetings, and lots of good things to find on our website. So it's newarkupc.info. Please go there to find out more. And so now as we turn to our evening's lesson, um, this week uh, we have been talking about all types of mothers uh, through the scriptures as the week leading up to Mother's Day, which is tomorrow. And uh, want to personally wish uh, all mothers uh, a very happy Mother's Day. Um, and uh, we've been talking about various kinds of mothers. And so when I say happy Mother's Day, uh, I mean it in all of the ways that have been covered this week and in the ways that we'll uh, talk about more tonight. So we know the term mother can um, refer to a lot of things. In fact, uh, last Sunday, I believe it was, um, Pastor Moss talked about the church as mother to all of us. And so uh, just want to uh, extend a happy Mother's Day. And so tonight, um, we're going to hear a relationship, a story about a relationship between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. And behind me, I have these pictures here. Oh, it's always, you know, kind of weird in the camera to point. Okay. Uh, and I have two pictures. This is a picture of my mom and me. And then this uh, sweet little picture is of my husband, Arash, in the arms of his mother. Uh, of course, mine's a little bit more recently taken with my mom, but I'm still in her arms. Isn't that cute? Uh, but the one of uh, my husband, Arash, and his mother is from when he was quite young. And I know they're a little bit far off in the camera, but you know, I'll bring them a little closer if you want. This is actually a print. Uh, a photocopy print. And so that's not quite as clear. Uh, but anyway, I show these to, to show picture of mothers, of course, but also pictures of mother-in-laws. This is my mother-in-law. This is uh, my husband's mother-in-law. And our story tonight is focused on a mother-in-law specifically, but also the relationship with her daughter-in-law. Now I'm blessed to have a wonderful mother-in-law and at least from my perspective we have a good relationship no we do but i hope that my husband could say the same about his mother-in-law and i think it's safe to assume he would also say it's a uh, uh, strong relationship and one uh, that he loves um, and so 
mother-in-law and daughter-in-laws. This is a type of mother we're going to be looking at. And uh, it's a story that is familiar to many of us. But if you're not familiar with it tonight and you want to read along with me, I will be in the book of Ruth uh, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And this is a story about the mother-in-law, Naomi, and the daughter-in-law, Ruth. Um, and this story is about a lot of loss, uh, but it's also a powerful story about love. And because it's Mother's Day weekend, we're looking at that powerful uh, bond between Ruth and Naomi. And that's my focus tonight. So I want to read, kind of read through this story um, through the lens of love between a mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. So cozy up, you can see I'm in my uh, cozy, uh, what's this called, recliner and ready to kind of just tell a story tonight. It's real simple format. Um, we're just going to work through the story uh, in the book of Ruth is only four short chapters. Now, I'm not going to read line by line, but I'll do a little bit of um, summary and paraphrasing and then pull out some direct verses which you'll see on your screen um just to make you know some some points of emphasis but basically just telling the story and listening to it reading it reading through it uh through the lens of a relationship mother and daughter-in-law so let's begin um I want to read verses, chapter one, verses one through five, only because it really sets the context for the story. Like I said, this story is one of great loss. And so in those first five verses, it's right there. It is uh, uh, the situation that Naomi and Ruth um, uh, have to deal with and work through in the rest of the story is all lined out in these first five verses. So it says, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died. And this left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. So big chunk of time and lots happened in those five verses. And that sets us up for um, the remaining characters of the story, which is uh, Naomi, the mother-in-law and Ruth, the daughter-in-law. Um, so what initially brought this family, uh, Elimelech, her husband, Naomi's husband and Naomi, to Moab was because of a famine that we read. And they were from uh, Bethlehem in Judah. That was their homeland. And um, Naomi, uh, as we read on in the verses, I'm not going to read them verse by verse, but after the death of her husband, and then 10 years later, her son, 
Naomi and her daughter-in-law, uh, daughters-in-law are in Moab. And Naomi hears that uh, God is blessing her homeland of Bethlehem with good crops and plentiful uh, food. And she decides it's time to return there. Um, and so she's now alone, the scriptures say, without her husband, without her sons. And she makes this decision to return to Bethlehem. And she plans to take her daughters-in-law with her, both Orpah and Ruth. But then we're going to read verses uh, 8 and 9. Something changes this plan. It says, but on the way, this is on their way to uh, begin their journey uh, back to Bethlehem. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. And then she kissed them goodbye and they all broke down and wept. It's, it's sad details there. Uh, kind, not sad, but maybe touching. Uh, that that was their response to the idea of being separated from one another. So these verses, remember, we're, we're thinking about relationship tonight. We're thinking about the power of love following loss. We're, we're, we're thinking about um, uh, mothers. And these verses clearly outline the type of relationship, a very positive strong, a good one, I think we can safely assume from the text that Naomi had with her, with both her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, because it says they wept over the thought of parting from one another. So there was a real love that was cultivated over those many years of, of being together and, and that relationship um, through marriage that they had. And there was a real bond there. And Naomi as the mother-in-law, the older woman looking out for her daughters-in-law was trying to show her love and her care uh, for them. And by unselfishly, you know, giving this advice, making this plea to them that they return where they're from and go back to their mother's homes, as she said, and uh, that she would then continue alone back to her homeland. You see, Naomi was initially the foreigner. She was uh, from Bethlehem, moved to Moab. So she initially was kind of the outsider that made a life in a foreign land in Moab. Um, and all these years later now, she believed it was time to return to her homeland, that that was in her best interest. But uh, in that culture and time, um, you know, women, especially older women who were widowed, uh, had very little to no worth um, left. And so she needed to go somewhere where she could have some sense of maybe familiarity or security. Um, but for, because for women in that time, a husband was pretty much the source of security financially and otherwise um, for a woman. And so now that all of her means of security were gone, not only her husband, but also her two sons, she had to make this, um, I'm sure, difficult decision. And so 
you know, the impact of those losses uh, is what led her to make this decision almost, I guess, for a woman in that time kind of forced to make this decision to go back to her uh, childhood home. And because this ability of, of any hope of a future in Moab um, was gone with the death of the men in her life. And we're going to see explained in the following verses, we're going to read a few of them, um, that Naomi knew, though, that it, in contrast to her situation in the death of the, the three men in her life, her daughter-in-law still had uh, a future ahead of them if they would do what she was telling them to do. They were young enough to remarry and have children. We know from the story that there were no children uh, born um, to Naomi's sons. And so they still had the chance to have children um, and make a life for themselves in Moab uh, if they wanted that. And so in verse 10, they said no uh, in response to Naomi saying, wait a second. She kind of had this epiphany like, wait a second, wait, we can't travel any further like this. Please go back to your mother's homes. You know, they obviously were going to miss each other. Uh, and the thought of that made them sad. And they both said no initially. They said, we want to go with you to your people. So just think of what kind of example she was um, for them to say, we love you so much that we want to be around the people that you came from. That's just a high, huge compliment. Um, I mean, it would be to me now, and I assume it was to uh, someone like Naomi back then. And so initially they wanted to be among the people that Naomi come, came from. Um, and I want to draw our attention um, to some of the verses that highlight this relationship that these women had, uh, because I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, we're reading kind of after the death of the, the all of their husbands, um, we read that they must have had a good relationship. Uh, they wanted to stay together. But we know that good relationship started way before the loss. It wasn't a response to the loss of their husbands that they became close. Um, they they had uh, must have had a very good relationship with Naomi since they entered into her family via marriage to her sons. So I imagine they would have taken the opportunity to jet from Naomi if they wanted it. <laughs> After the death of their spouses, they could have been like, good, I'm released, bye. But that obviously was not the case. They had a good relationship. And out of their love for her, they wanted to stay by her side. But Naomi says in verse 11, she replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters return to your parents' home. For I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, which is the cultural things I mentioned earlier about a woman's worth. Um, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again, they wept together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. So this passage is kind of the sad passage. Uh, to me because Naomi in the decision for uh, in the decision that Orpah made 
out of Naomi's plea for her daughter-in-laws to have a better life, uh, Naomi's setting herself up for more loss. The loss of the relationship with her daughter-in-laws and being a part of their lives, um, literally her sending them away, she's gearing for more loss in her life, even though it is not through death. And that just, you know, it's bittersweet in a sense, because she knows she's doing what's right and best for her daughters-in-law to give this advice, but at the same time, it would separate them forever. And um, it just seems exceptionally sad, part of the story after the great loss that they had already endured together through losing their husbands. But the scriptures kind of make it clear that we just read, Orpah, it wasn't an easy decision for Orpah to make to leave Naomi. And in the end, reluctantly, she decides perhaps Naomi's right and this is better. And so um, she departs from Naomi, but Naomi does not lose everyone. Um, continuing in verse 14 and a couple more, uh, a couple verses down, it says, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. You don't cling tightly to someone that you don't love and trust. Um, and she says, look, Naomi, uh, sorry, Naomi said, look to her daughter, her to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods, and you should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So this is a key chunk of scripture right here. It's probably the most famous words, you know, out of uh, the book of Ruth that we hear. And some very famous, you know, uh, words that we hear um, <clears throat> out of the Bible. These are some, this is kind of a, a scripture that has, um, has a claim to fame as far as uh, scriptures in the Bible that are often quoted. And I'm gonna park here for a minute in these few verses. There are a few things that I wanna draw out. This is really kind of the, the crux. It's kind of the point of uh, my message tonight. Very simple thought on the power of love um, related to mothers. So in these verses that we just read, this is a beautiful example of the power of love between this mother-in-law and this daughter-in-law that, you know, honestly, it, it feels, it feels more like a mother, a close mother-daughter relationship than a mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, you know, just the typical general stereotype of mother-in-law is what I'm referring to. And then the typical stereotype of what we think is a close relationship between mother and daughter. But it was, if anything, uh, between these two women, it was a very close relationship and one with love and loyalty. And, you know, when someone says, may the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. That's some strong usage of words there. And they must really love you because they don't want anything to be a reason for separating from you unless it's one you can't control, which is death. And so uh, I just found, you know, those are some pow powerful words. And when you read it through that lens of love and relationship, that's loyalty, that's commitment. But 
out of love for her daughter-in-law, out, you know, Naomi's love for Ruth and knowing what a hard life she might have if she didn't make the same decision that Orpa did and go home uh, to their place of origin. But Naomi was probably uh, right to try and encourage Ruth to leave her. She was really looking to what be, would be in Ruth's best in interest and not of her own, you know, benefit. Um, and I think that's a real product of love when you can set your side of self, even at extreme cost or difficulty um, and see what's best for that other person. You know, when God says, love your neighbor as yourself, that setting aside of self, here's the great, I mean, I know they had a close relationship, but Ruth was loving her neighbor at this point. Oh, sorry, Naomi was loving her neighbor at this point. <clears throat> and I think that's a really beautiful uh, depiction of their relationship. So because Ruth was more likely to have a chance at a secure life and remarry and produce that family that she didn't get a chance to have with uh, Naomi's son, um, you know, even with the risk that she was making, um, and I'm sure that Ruth was aware of this, she wanted to, that famous line, make Naomi's people her people. Um, and we know that both of Naomi's sons had married outsiders. They married Moabite women. Um, they married the foreigner. Uh, and Ruth and Orpah were Moabites. Um, and we know from the beginning of the story that uh, Naomi and Elimelech had come from Bethlehem, <clears throat> which we learn later on is the birthplace of Jesus. And so their sons married outside of their culture. But, um, you know, we see this good relationship between Naomi and her daughters-in-law despite that. And, you know, I realized something when I was reading the story through this lens that Naomi was not only this mother, I know, I know she was a mother-in-law, but really their relationship was so close, like a mother-daughter. And she wasn't only this mother to both Orpah and Ruth, but particularly Ruth now that Ruth is the one that's um, journeying with her back to Bethlehem. But she was also their spiritual mothers, if we can think of it that way. And I don't think I had ever thought of their relationship in that way before. Um, and, you know, this weekend and all of this week, we've been celebrating all types of moms. And uh, we want to celebrate um, and honor and remember. Sometimes we're remembering our mothers or the mother figures uh, or the spiritual mothers in our lives. And for me, um, this lady behind me right here, my mom, kind of plays both of those roles in my life as uh, a loving mother and also a, a spiritual mother to me. But I have, and I'm sorry, this is on an iPad, maybe a little blurry, but this lady right here um, is uh, Arash's uh, spiritual mother. And you've heard her in a couple of his stories before, if you've been with us. Uh, that's uh, Sister Linda, who was a spiritual mother to Arash and his brother and sister and their family. Uh, their, his parents as well, as they began their walk uh, with Jesus Christ. And so we give honor to her as um, Linda had uh, passed away this last year.
And so we're just so thankful for all types of mothers. Amen. So it's through this example of Naomi that steered Ruth's spiritual life. And she decided, you know, in, in that passage we just read, the next half of the, that famous verse, I want to make your people my people, but I want to make your God my God, Ruth said to Naomi. Um, you know, Mo Moabites didn't worship the Yahweh God. Uh, they worshiped other gods. And um, because of Naomi and the power of God through her, um, and the, her, the life that she lived, uh, Ruth desired to have what she had. That's a powerful thing when someone can look at your witness and say, I want what they got. Amen. So we just thank you, Lord. And, and as I was reading through the story, I thought, thank God for the um, love that Christ has for the outsider. Ruth and Orpha, you know, reaching for them through um, Naomi and uh, thankful that God reached for us. If we don't have, if you don't have uh, Jewish descent, you are an outsider, you are a foreigner and Jesus Christ loves you and he loves me. And we're thankful for that and that he reached for us through his love on the cross, amen. So Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem and with this uncertain future ahead of them, uh, two women showing up, and, uh, you know, they're not quite sure how this is, thing's going to pan out. But, um, you know, because of the, the great losses they had already endured, uh, they arrive in Bethlehem and all they have is each other. And so um, chapter two, we're diving into and uh, the rest of the chapters here. Uh, my summary is a lot quicker than that first chapter. Most of the meat I wanted to get to tonight was in that. But Ruth is resourceful. And um, she sees this opportunity to gather uh, some leftover wheat from a rich man's field behind his harvesters. And uh, Ruth wasn't really even the one who would cut the wheat down, but she came behind the harvesters um, and gathered the scraps, so to speak. She gathered what was left of what the harvesters harvested in this field. Um, and it wasn't much, but it was better than nothing. And that's what she provided for herself and Naomi. Still caring for Naomi. It's one way she said, I'm going to take care of us is I'm going to uh, uh, provide food for us. And of course, that's God's faithfulness to them as well in the, in the grand scheme of things. But again, we see this picture of uh, this caring relationship between the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law. And the name of the rich man we find out in chapter two and the owner of these wheat fields, um, he's introduced here. His name is Boaz. And we'll read in the next se several verses that Boaz sees the love and the loyalty between this mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. And it moves him with compassion and he bestows a special favor upon Ruth, which of course then benefits Naomi as well. Um, and so this story of loss, and that was getting quite sad, uh, takes a turn for the better. And this shift occurs in verse, verses 8 through 12 of chapter 2. It says, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field and see which part of the field 
they are harvesting. And then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. And I have heard how you left your mother and your father in your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you've done. So Ruth shows this kindness and gratitude back to Boaz. Um, and Boaz continues to give favor to Ruth and he feeds her and tells the young men in his fields, allow this woman, allow Ruth to gather the best of the harvest and as much as she wants. I mean, it's blessings upon blessings as, as the saying goes. And when she shows Naomi all that she'd gathered in one day, Naomi was surprised, you know, how much that she brought home. And that gave Ruth the opportunity. Naomi says, how did you bring all this? And Ruth says, well, you know, there's this man, Boaz, and he's, he's found favor. Uh, on me. And uh, hearing this, Naomi sees an opportunity. So Ruth is blessing Naomi and Naomi turns around and, and she wants to bless and care for Ruth. And she sees this opportunity for her daughter-in-law to start life over again. I mean, just the showing of love between the two of them, it's just so evident through the whole story. Um, and so Boaz is this family redeemer. I believe that's how that New Living Translation, the NLT, says it. And what that means is, is that Boaz was a relation of Naomi's husband, uh, Elimelech, and Ruth's father-in-law. And so there's a familial uh, uh, connection there. And during that time, if there was a death in the family and a woman was widowed, there was this, you know, kind of process of how the next male in the family uh, that could marry, that was eligible to marry, he would have the option to do so. And so Naomi knows this. She knows Boaz is the family's redeemer, that he could marry Ruth, and he's already showing favor and you know, you know, affinity towards towards Ruth. And um, you know, Naomi knew what she was doing, and she sees uh, the provision that's being made for Ruth, and she just advises Ruth, you know, continue what you're doing, do as Boaz says, and and stay in his good graces because this is your chance to turn an uncertain future that they've been kind of been rumbling over in their heads ever since the death of their husbands into a secure one and to marry through a marriage to Boaz. And so here's Ruth, uh, Naomi, excuse me, encouraging Ruth um, to do things that will benefit her and secure a future for her. And as we move into chapter three, Naomi becomes in increasingly transparent in this plan for her daughter-in-law to secure a future with Boaz. And Boaz has shown himself to be a very good man. And so she tells her, she, uh, Naomi tells Ruth, up your game now. She says, wash yourself, put on all the smelly goods and the pretty things, make yourself look nice. And she instructs her to lay at the feet of Boaz one night when he goes to bed, but not to let him see her. Uh, before he lays down. And so a, a Ruth says, yes, I, I will do this. I mean, she trusts her mother-in-law. She loves her. She's going to follow her instruction. And so, um, you know, that's a lot of trust there. I was thinking, 
how many people out there would let their mother-in-law set them up with the next their next spouse? Who's got that kind of trust between them and their mother-in-law? Anybody, anybody? So again, pointing to this strong relationship between these two women. Um, in verses, let's see. No, excuse me. I'm not going to read those verses. I'm going to uh, paraphrase. So we're picking back up here with, you know, uh, Ruth being prepared to go into Boaz's room and lay at uh, the foot of his bed. She does so. Boaz comes in after a night of eating and drinking and he sees Ruth. Who, who are you? And Ruth says, I am your servant, Ruth. And she tells him, you know, you're my family's redeemer. And Boaz, you know, blesses her and he commends her for being so loyal to her family in her choice of him. Uh, rather than going for a younger man, he says, he's like, you're out there in the field with all these younger men and you choose me. Like that's loyalty to your family. And uh, he continues to be so uh, blown away with the, the love because Boaz was much older and, uh, but he was a good man. And so he tells Ruth that there's actually a closer family redeemer uh, than he is in the family. And because Boaz is such a good man, he makes it right. And he goes to that uh, next, the real family redeemer, uh, this other man, and he gives him the option of marrying Ruth before him and initially, this other man says, oh, yes, I, I, I want the land. And uh, Boaz says, well, with the land comes Ruth. You have to marry her as, as you know, all of the men in the family have died. And the, uh, the man says, well, that's not something that, that's not a risk I want to take. That's not something I want to do. And he says to Boaz, I, I give you permission to marry Ruth. And um, of course, that's the exciting end to the book of Ruth is that uh, Boaz takes Ruth as his wife and um, they, uh, uh, Ruth is able to bear children. And uh, the ending of um, Ruth is uh, a genealogy that points to uh, the lineage of David, who becomes King David, uh, uh, the big name in the Old Testament, and that is the lineage of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, I wrapped up this the story quick tonight because the real relationship I wanted to focus on was the one between mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. This is a true love story. And usually it's the love story between Boaz and Ruth. Um, but this love story tonight was between these two women and the power of love and just it's and and just the way God's plan works out um, when you know when circumstances in this case great loss makes it seem like there is no plan that can work out for me and I might as well accept that you know that was Naomi's kind of view of her future um, but through her special relationship with Ruth and Ruth's love to her, Naomi was also taken care of and had a future through Ruth's uh, marriage to Boaz. And uh, it ended well for both of them. And so I guess if there's one thing I can quickly say tonight in wrapping up this story, it's that God's plan, God has a plan and he'll work it out for you despite what the circumstances may look like. 
And so um, tonight, I just want to end in a quick prayer and uh, thank God for the power of love, the power of his love uh, towards us and a blessing on our mothers. Tomorrow night, please join us for a special Mother's Day message um, from a special lady. And um, we're here Tuesdays through Saturdays, uh, 7 p.m. And we have our lessons and Bible studies. And so remember, remember to join us throughout the week. But let's end in prayer, if you wouldn't mind. Heavenly Father, just so thank you, so thankful for your word tonight and for this uh, powerful remembrance of the blessings of a mother, whether it's a, a biological mother, whether it's a mother figure, whether it's a mother-in-law, and whether it's a spiritual mother. Tonight, Lord, we honor, we celebrate, and we remember these women who have impacted our lives for the better. Thank you, Lord, for your plans that work uh, out despite our circumstances. And thank you for the encouragement and hope that your scriptures bring. We love you tonight, Lord, and we bless your name. Happy Mother's Day to all and uh, good night.